there's a point where I'm like, man, just have the camera guy take you across because he's really <laughs> doing a wonderful job. And welcome back to another episode of Exposing Ourselves. I'm Travis Ritchie, and this is episode 43. This is the show where we expose each other to new things. Matt, a big music fan, will assign me one of his favorite music artists to listen to each week, and I, a movie buff, will give him one of my favorite films. And we come together on this very podcast to discuss it all. And with me, as always, is my very good friend, Matt Brunquist. Hey, Travis. This week, I watched the movie 1917. And you listen to my favorite album of all time, In the Aeroplane Over the Sea, by the band Neutral Milk Hotel. No pressure at all on me to have an opinion one way or the other. <laughs> yeah, no pressure at all, man. It's just... Ooh, my goodness. You know what? I, I, I contemplated uh, calling out sick this episode or, or trying to find a guest host to yeah. uh, take the pressure yeah. on uh, reviewing your favorite album uh, and uh, but no I decided you know what that's not how this works yeah uh, I am a bigger man than that I can I can handle the stress I had I had not wanted to give you this album uh, mm-hmm. but I know that you're interested in hearing what my favorite albums are and uh, when we got the suggestion last week that you should listen to Neutral Milk Hotel, I was like, yes. And to be fair, this album, uh, not to spoil the party or anything, but this album <laughs> is, uh, it, it is important in the history of indie music, for sure. Okay. Like, like I'm, right. not, I'm not good. crazy out there on an island. How was your week? My week uh, was good. It was a little bit shorter than usual uh, because we taped late last week. I got to play D&D this week, which was fun. It's been like two months since I've played uh, for a variety of reasons, none of which are important here. But we had trick-or-treating, which was super fun. We had a pretty good attendance this year. Wait, why trick-or-treating not on Halloween? Well, because it's cold and dark and Halloween is on an actual weekday. And so a lot of... Uh, villages and towns around this area do trick-or-treating on the weekend before. I think it cuts down on car accidents. Uh, Halloween Halloween is one of the most dangerous days of the year for pedestrians, which is to say a lot of kids get injured and killed on actual Halloween. So... Yeah, a lot of the places around here I have didn't done realize that. that. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Uh, and uh, yeah, I just I don't remember us when I was a kid moving the day to the to be on the weekend. Do you? Did no, it's a relatively weekend? it's a relatively recent development. But even when Eve was growing up, so I want to say early two thousands, by that point there was mm. definitely movable Halloween. All right, just pandering to the kids, safe, big, playing up to big safety here. Um, but well, that's fine. That's good. Uh, did you did you have candy to give out to kids? Oh, absolutely. We get dressed up every year. We do. Oh, really? A display in our lawn every year. We made so Amy is a or is a trained scenic painter. Yeah. And so we made our own gravestones that have puns on them, and uh-huh. jokes inside jokes or jokes that i think are funny 
Uh, and then every year we have a couple of skeletons and we have the skeletons doing this year. So the theme for this year was blowing bubbles. So we have an adult sized skeleton and a child sized skeleton and then a skeletal dog. And Aww. so the adult skeleton was blowing bubbles and the child was exclaiming in excitement and the dog was attempting to pop bubbles. Please send me pictures of that. I want to see this and... Uh... Yeah, it's, it's super or, fun. We've done different things every year. We did camping one year. Uh, we do... Sometimes they're just waving to the people walking by. We do lots of different stuff. It's like you're the uh, It's like you're the Calvin and Hobbes uh, building snowmen, but of skeletons for Halloween. Yeah, and it's generally... It's pretty minor, right? It's only a few skeletons. It's not like it's taking uh-huh. over the whole area. But I mean, for now. For now. But it's fun. And it, we try to keep it light, right? Some people go really hardcore into the horror thing for Halloween, but that's not us. Oh, that's very sweet. And what uh, the, the most important question, then, what kind of candy do you give out? Some chocolate, some sugar. So I'm a big sugar candy person. I love things that are just basically pure sugar. So like what? S- sweet tarts, Smarties. Oh, okay. uh, Starburst and Skittles, right? Things that are just like sugar, 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 right? Okay. But of course, we know that many people like chocolate. So we usually get a bag of assorted chocolates, a bag of assorted sweet candies. And then whatever's left, we get to demolish ourselves. And we had, I would say, around 100 kids this year. So pretty good. Nice. Oh, wow. That's so exciting. I love that. I, I, I really enjoyed when I was in uh, Nashville dressing up myself and handing out candy to the kids. It was my only real chance to do that because it's not something we do here in LA in an apartment complex, right? Mm. And yeah. so I I got a chance to kind of be, you know, dad giving out candy to the neighbor kids. And uh, it was really, really cool. So I'm glad that you get to do that every year. Yeah, me too. It's a lot of fun. We We really enjoy it. And our neighborhood is... It's a little transitional, but there are enough kids of school age in our neighborhood that we know we're going to... Like last year, for some reason, we didn't get a whole lot of travelers, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, families with like a van load of kids that all get out and and hit the street. Uh, But even then, we got maybe 30 kids. This year, we got like 100. So it it was way better. And no real reason why, as far as I could determine, just kind of the luck of the draw if they hit your street or not, so... That's really, that's interesting. I, I, that's fascinating. I, it didn't even occur to me that people would be traveling to other neighborhoods. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I guess... Some people get yeah. very upset about it because there a lot of the times it's like inner city kids, right? Sure. So sure. racially, especially in Milwaukee, often they're racially different than the makeup of the neighborhood. This is a pretty mixed neighborhood here, but it's still predominantly white. Uh-huh. Um. And so some people get like really wound up about it. And I'm like, dude, it's like $8 worth of candy. Like who gives a flying Yeah, and you're making their day and you're making their whole month better. Uh, Yeah. That's great. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, My week was not very different. It was fairly uh, mundane, but I did, it was full of stuff. So uh, of course, back to work. I did classes at the collaborative. I did um, uh, one of them went really late and i've had early morning calls all week so like 6 a.m uh around abouts and so on on work nights the it's really tough to be up till 11 p.m when you know some of these classes are getting out now you bicycle to work right 
I do. I do. Yeah. And is it, I don't really know like what sunrise, sunset or light. Are you biking in the dark? Yes. Yes. And so I have my lights on and I have a, I have a big, bright, flashy backlight and uh, I have spoke lights if I think I need them. But at that hour of the morning, there's almost no one on the roads. And so, um, yeah, it's, I feel generally pretty safe. Good. Uh, I've been biking in LA for 20 years now and uh, never, I mean, not never, but rarely had problems with, with other drivers. Uh, Occasionally pretty close calls, you know, but uh, never... Never too much of a problem. So, uh, and then what else did I do? Oh, I had a play reading group on the weekend where we read Clue, which was our like ho- creepy Halloween murder mystery um, thing. We do we read plays a couple times sure. a month, uh, at, you know, at my acting group. And today I made a quick appearance at a friend's annual pumpkin carving party, but I did not have enough time to actually carve a pumpkin myself this year, which was a little bit of a disappointment, but also a little bit of a relief because I always put so much pressure on myself to carve a pumpkin. Yeah. And uh, it always turns out much better than I thought it was going to, mm-hmm. but uh, but I always get there with the pumpkin and be like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm a fraud. I don't know how to, I don't know how to carve a pumpkin, uh, but it ends up turning out okay. Are so, you one of those people who plays with shadows and like different depths of, I of have pumpkin? Yeah. yeah. And so sometimes it goes all the way through. Sometimes I'm, I'm scoring the, the, the shells so you can wow. see through, uh, but not completely through. Yeah. So I, I do some of that. Oh, yeah. that's not me at all. I'm like, I'm I'm a circle eyes, triangle nose, mouth with a couple of teeth in it kind of guy. I'm that I'm very basic when it comes to pumpkin carving. Yeah, I, not me. I I take it very seriously. I I I put a lot of undue pressure on myself, uh, and I think it's probably indicative of the rest of my life, uh, to be <laughs> honest. But yeah, it it definitely shows through in my in my pumpkin carving. Uh, so. I'm gonna crush yeah, this and... pumpkin carving contest. Yeah, it's not even a contest. It's just it's just you know a bunch of people showing up and carving. But there is definitely a gradient of of talent uh, in that group. So some people are doing exactly what you described, and some people are doing like the Balrog from uh, from <laughs> you know Lord of the Rings and looking exactly like it should. So um, yeah, and everything in between. But uh, it was so good to see the friends, and I to, I'll be honest with you, I have been uh, a little. Uh, hard to motivate myself to go do things mm. lately. I don't know exactly why, but fall um, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's emotional, but uh, I it was nice because in addition to this, I did go to a Halloween haunt yesterday, last night with some friends, just a very small group. But uh, one of them picked me up and gave me a ride, and I was able to go do that, which was great. So nice, just doing a little bit of Halloween stuff, which Halloween is my favorite holiday, really. And it, yeah, um, and I think it it is rough when I'm not able to do things that are fun, you know, yeah. because of, for instance, my lack of mobility. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So that was nice to do. Anyway, um, and then here I am talking to you, and this is lovely as well. Aww, so we're recording this just before Halloween, even though you, listener, won't be listening to it until uh, until November has uh, hit us. So um, that's why we're doing all the Halloween talk right now. All right. Cool. Well, shall we get into it, Travis? Yeah, yeah. Let's get to the meat. It's let's... about time. Get into the meat. meat. Will there be potatoes? Nobody knows. Uh, Shall we switch things up this week and do the music first? Uh, Sure. Let's shake it up. Do the music. Yeah. Tell me about... Let's let's do it. I'm going to tell you... Tell me about Neutral Milk Hotel. Yeah, I'm going to tell you about Neutral Milk Hotel. So, 
in the 90s in indie music there so in the early 90s there was the big upset of nirvana's nevermind coming out and completely changing the landscape of popular rock music and so a lot of like really heavy bands came along in the few years after that that were sort of in the same mold as the seattle sound but in the later 90s a lot of bands that were a little more pop focused came out uh still guitar bass drums type of music and there were different scenes everybody was kind of looking for the next scene right seattle was dead where is the next scene going to come along and there were a few candidates for that but out of georgia there was this group called the elephant six recording collective and it's a loose affiliation of bands the most prominent of which was Neutral Milk Hotel, but there were several other ones. There was Olivia Tremor Control and Apples and Stereo and Of Montreal. I know these things don't, I know these band names don't mean anything to you. No, I just think it's just, it's wonderful and hysterical that I haven't heard of any of those. Yeah. So I was just talking to someone today at the Pumpkin Carving Park party about the absolute depth of my ignorance when it comes to music. So. Well, that's what we're aiming to fix. So, yeah. no, that's what this is all about. Anyways, so this uh, this group of people made music all through the early 90s and into the mid-90s. And then in 1998, this album called In the Aeroplane Over the Sea came out. And it is kind of a theme album or kind of a concept album, but not really. It's sort of a loosely connected group of songs that are... Really, there's all sorts of odd instruments that are in use in this. There's all sorts of... It it expands the sonic palette quite a bit. And there are things that are very sort of straightforwardly acoustic guitar and voice all the way up to... There's, a I think, something called a Zanzaphone on this. I'm not sure what that is. I actually was going to read some of the credits to you, and I decided not to do it, just <laughs> so you could hear the list of bizarre instruments that are on this. But there's a lot of brass, a lot of organ, bass, guitar, drums, lots of... And I think there's actually multiple drummers at a, at a few points, a lot of chaos, a lot of quiet stuff. Jeff Mangum... The head of, I realize this is a huge intro, everybody, but this is my favorite album, so you're just going to have to live with it today. No, uh, Jeff I'm Mangum, happy to hear about it, and I, I also love hearing about why you love it so much. Was the, uh, So Jeff Mangum was the driving force behind the band Neutral Milk Hotel. They had released a few EPs before this that were a little more straightforwardly indie pop, and then this album came along, and there was a very popular single off of it called Holland 1945, which was what I heard on the local college radio station. I really loved, and I picked up this vinyl. Yes, that's right. I have an early pressing of the vinyl, everybody. And I absolutely fell in love with this album. There are times on this album, this it's like very, very emotional, and it deals with like growing up and adolescence and yearning and dreaming and war and nothing like there's nothing that's like super straightforward or on the nose or there's very little that's very on the nose lyrically but it's all things that do feel like they have a key and that you can understand right this is not like new pornographers where you're just like i have no idea what any of this means you can get glimpses of meaning on out of this and it's very poetic but Mm -hmm. It is a little bit of an arm's distance. So, 
I think that's all I kind of want to say about it right now because I do want to hear your thoughts. And I'm going to... There's one note in particular that I'm really curious to hear about, and that is Jeff Mangum's voice and singing style. Yes. Okay. Well, I want to be delicate because I'll, 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 I'll say straight up off the bat, this is not something I loved um, in, in a, uh, generally. Uh, I want to say, I want to acknowledge that you are definitely on point when you talk about the, the emotion and the uh, kind of passion behind this music. That much is clear. Um, and I also want to say that I have a little internal, like, first five seconds test, you know, with music. Um, just like uh, if, a, if a music, if a piece of, if a song comes along and like in the first five seconds it hooks me, I'm like, I, I feel really good about that. Like, I love that feeling where like a, a song starts and it's immediately gotcha. And the first song on this album got me immediately. Like it starts off and it's got this really nice uh, guitar uh, lick, and it's like um, I don't even know what the what the musical progression was, but it was it was nice, it was pleasant, it was super cool. And my journey listening to this song was equivalent to when you make a weird noise and your dog kind of cocks its head at you, like what are you doing? And that that's what the dog is saying. That's what I did with this music because. He starts to sing, and the lyrics are weird. Let me just read for you, uh, just for a bit, the lyrics of this first song. When you were young, you were the king of carrot flowers, and how you built a tower tumbling through the trees in holy rattlesnakes that fell all around your feet. That's the first stanza. Uh, and I was like, I was like, uh, what? And and it only got worse from there, I'm afraid, for me. Um, there are things I like about this music, the the the, the rhythm and the um, and the, uh, the 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 trumpets. You mentioned the brass. Oh man, I'm a sucker for trumpets. But okay, do you know you've seen the Matrix, right? I have Sorry seen to bring the Matrix. In a, a movie reference. No, that's okay. Do you okay. remember when? Uh, after like as the uh, after the midpoint when they be- they get betrayed by their by their crewmate and uh, he's killing them as they're inside the matrix and yes. uh, the woman the woman switch who all wears all white is kneeling by one of their friends who's just been killed and he looks up at and she looks up at Neo and goes not like this not like this right that's one of my favorite memes and <laughs> i had that going through my head with this album like i love trumpets but not like this <laughs> not like this oh, man. and it was uh there was also like i so then it comes to his voice and um for the most part his voice is fairly innocuous uh, it's a it's a it's a it's a regular guy singing. He doesn't really have a particularly good voice, but he tries to hit some high notes that he can't really hit, and it becomes much like 
too much of the rest of the album for me, cacophonous. That is the word that I kept on coming into, or it, it kept coming into my head. It, I, 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 my neck would like squeeze when I was listening to it uh, in a, in an unpleasant way, and um, uh, I, I, I couldn't. It was it was tough, Matt. Um, I I really wanted to like it more than I did for you. Because I like and for you. Kevin and for Kevin and for Kevin and for you, Kevin. I wanted to like this so much more than I did, but it was um, it was just and and, I, and okay. So here's the thing: I made it all the way through the first time, and I had no intention of trying to listen to it again. I was like, nope, that's it. I can't. I can't do it again. But today, I put it on again, and I said, you know what? Maybe I was just in a mood. And uh, I want to give it its fair its fair shake, and I tell you, I got through a couple of uh, the first I don't know four songs or so, and I will say, uh, in the aeroplane over the sea is mostly a really good song. Mm-hmm. Uh, I until at some point towards the end, they introduce this instrument, quote unquote, that sounds like. <laughs> It sounds like a violin string being strung by like metal, a piece of metal or something. I don't know. It was it was very tough to listen to it, and it really didn't. It wasn't pleasant to me. And uh, uh, so anyway, there's there's that. And then okay, uh, one other thing. I'm sorry, I got to put this in there. This is the last thing. Yeah, I'm gonna stop it. harping on it because no, I want to hear. Yeah. I want to hear about your love for this album rather than my um, absence of love. Uh, but the song. So the first two songs are three parts somehow. Uh, King of Carrot Flowers Part One is the first song, and then King of Carrot Carrot Flowers Parts Two and Three is the second song. It all blends together. There's no real break in the song that's noticeable. But the lyrics of the second song start with, I love you, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, I love you. Yes, I do. I love you, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, I love you. Yes, I do. And if you know anything about me, you'll know that that kind of thing rankles me a bit. And um, what, what, so. what, When you say that kind of thing identify exactly what you're talking about do you feel Uh, it's blasphemous no no um i i really couldn't care about blasphemy it's it's the it's the idea that you must proclaim your love for your religion um like i am not religious everybody uh i have long since forsaken uh the fold uh but the 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 one of the things that, you know, I, I know the Bible, I've read it a couple times, and one of the things that it says is that you should pray in private. Go into your bedroom, close the door, and pray in private. The people who are out on the streets uh, declaring their, you know, uh, their their faith are, uh, are heresies, you know? Uh, and so, Pharisees, that's not the right word. Uh, anyway. No, you but, said heresies. Yeah. And, uh, and so, uh, so... Music that is all about, like, not all about, but like, that really makes a point to stress how much 
how religious you are uh, rankles me a bit. And so references in music to God, Jesus, those kind of things just rubs me the wrong way. Um, okay. We encountered that a I wanna, tiny bit I'm, early on. Yeah, I want to address this point specifically okay. since you brought it up. Yeah. So a big part of this album is him taking on the persona of a youth, right? This is not from the perspective of Jeff Mangum as a man in his mid-20s dealing with the world. This is about a kid and his relationship to adolescence and, weirdly, Anne Frank and the horrors of war. And to me, when he says that line, Jesus Christ, I love you, right, he's talking about a strong religious experience that he had as a child, right? Which many of us had, like I went to Bible camp when I was a kid and I was like super duper like, yeah, woo. Right. And of course now I'm much like you are and hi mom. And (laughs) then the next line is, I love you, Jesus Christ. And then it goes, Jesus Christ, I love you. Yes, I do. Jesus Christ, I love you. Jesus Christ is being used as an epithet right? It's being used as like a swear, like, Jesus Christ, I love you, right? And the you in this case is now the object of his affection, not Jesus Christ, right? And it's that sort of duality you have as a kid where you're like, you're having these intense emotional experiences, one of which is like explicitly religious, and one of which is like horny, or at the very least Mm. romantic, right? And so just by reversing the order of the words and sort of the the delivery of the lines, you get this sort of looking at the same phrase from two different perspectives. Okay. Now, I've listened to this album hundreds of times, and that's my take on it. I have no idea if that's correct. I've never read like a book about what the hell does in the aeroplane over the sea mean, but that's my that's my take on it. Well, I can accept that for sure. And um, if if that were the only thing that uh, rubbed me the wrong way about this album, then I would be satisfied to say, great, that's <laughs> satisfying to me now. But it um, unfortunately is not. So well, and else? his voice is... Else? His voice is super annoying there too, right? He's like it's super annoying. There's like some modulation going on where he's like searching for the right note, right? He's like searching he, for... The yeah. answer. And yeah. you know what? There's other things in this album that, 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 you know how oftentimes I'll say this checks my boxes of the things that I want in music? Mm. This checked a lot of the things that I actively dislike or have learned that I mm-hmm. dislike through yeah. the course of this project. Things like unnecessary distortion. Uh, like, why do you have to put that into your uh, drums and your guitar and stuff like that? So uh, and that just annoyed me again. Um, you're just reminding me of all the things that, are... yeah. And so there's a co- tell me, tell me why you love this. I mean, and I think interestingly, it is really cool to that you have an album that you uh, got into in what college? Yeah, 1998. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that those are our formative years, right? Those yeah. are the, the age from 14 to 21, where we're picking up. Those are the things we love most through our lives. I think, and uh, and so. I love that this is one of those for you. And so yeah. I want to hear more about that. Well, I mean, I could talk a little bit more about the specific things that I like about the album. But frankly, I just find it a really wonderful combination of like pop instincts 
and like noise, chaos, anti-musical instincts. I like mm. I like that combination of flavors, which you clearly don't, right? Uh, and it's one of the reasons that I had hesitated to give you this, but one of the reasons that I really wanted you to listen to it is its place in the culture for people of a certain age. This album is a touchstone. After mm. this album, Nutra Milk Hotel blo- broke up and Jeff Mangum disappeared off the face of the earth for a long time. And in the mid 2000s, somebody from one of the big music magazines, I think it was Spin, but don't quote me on that, actually went searching for like, where the heck is Jeff Mangum? They released this album. It sold a ton of stuff. It kind of took over the world for a while, uh, like a certain section of the world for a while. And then this guy and this band just completely disappeared. And there was like a long feature article on tracking him down. And he had been doing like field recordings in like rural Africa and just basically like disconnecting from the world. And, and when this reporter found him, he was upset, right? He was, he was very much in the, um, Oh God, I can't remember the names of any of the authors that are super reclusive, but like that mold of like authors who like, the work speaks for itself and I don't want to give interviews about it or do, you know, anything. A lot of the early recordings from elephant six were like a bunch of friends in a basement doing what they could to release music and being like modestly successful, but nobody in that group of people was expecting anything anywhere near the level of popularity that this achieved. And so he disappeared into the, into the wilds and, and that was what he wanted. And so when he got found, he was upset about it. Um, And it, there was like a discussion in the pop culture about whether what the reporter had done was even ethical, right? It was clear given how hard it was to find him that he didn't want to be found. Right. And so was it ethical of this reporter to go and like track this guy down? Right. This isn't like a a movie, you know, it's not like an actor promoting a movie where it's like you expect him to be around. Right. This is a guy who's basically said, don't find me, lose my number. Right. Right. And so, um, so that was the thing that happened. But then eventually like, so, so I guess the point is, is that this album became like a, this like shining lighthouse in the in the late 90s right it came out of the late 90s and then of course we've talked about before how indie music became huge in the mid 2000s with like the OC and all the different things surrounding that movement right. right it was like a big deal and here's this album that all these people who are my age are like oh man you got to check out Neutral Milk Hotel in the airplane over the sea is amazing right and so it becomes this like huge cultural artifact. There's no new music. There's never going to be new music. There's no tours. There's no way to engage with it, right? And this is before the age of like widespread streaming. So you kind of have to like, you know, you have to buy like a vinyl or like you have to like buy a physical media to get this, right? And it became this huge thing. And so like there's a bunch of people who will claim that this album is their favorite album, right? Wow. Uh, I'm I'm definitely not alone on this. It's and it's like it's a big deal. I guess is what yeah. I'm saying. It's a yeah. big deal. Well, so that, they did 
yeah, I know we're like, we're super late on time and I'm sorry about that, but this is, this is the one for me. No, so, if this is your favorite album. It deserves, it deserves uh, its due. And uh, I, I, I'm, don't apologize. I'm fascinated okay. to hear why you love it and why it means so much to you and, uh, and uh, theoretically yeah. others. <laughs> yeah. So what is interesting is that they did eventually get Neutral Milk Hotel back together for like... That's what I was going to ask you because I read here in, that it... Yeah. It, yeah, they did a few shows. It was a very limited number, though. I don't think they did a full tour. They did like seven shows or something where they played the it album. Says in from it? 2013 to 2015. So oh, really? In the course of two or three okay. years. Okay, so they did do a few... And um, they... Yeah, they played these shows. All of them were sold out instantly. Like, it was impossible to get tickets. And... Did you try? Yeah, of course. And you didn't get tickets? Oh, no. No, 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 no. Wow. So, okay. Yeah. Um, and then they... And then they dis... You know, and I'll be honest. Like, I was like, oh, okay. Well, they're back around again. They're going to end up releasing another album. They're going to keep touring. They're going to... And they, they disappeared. They kept their word and disappeared off the face of the earth again and wow. they're not around so uh yeah so the so this one i think the reason that it kind of rises to the top is it's an amazing album with like it sounds different from everything else but it's good and and then the and then sort of the mythology that arose around it you know, yeah, that's interesting. That reminds me a little bit of like uh, uh, Bill Watterson and uh, uh, Calvin yeah, and Hobbes, right? Sure, very absolutely. reclusive, doesn't want to be found, not doing interviews, yeah, not doing not selling out with merchandise, that kind of thing. So, yeah, um, yeah, but has this perfect thing that they do that you mean created. to tell me that he's not making mad money off of all the pissing Calvin stickers? <laughs> <laughs> no, strangely, not, he's not. Um, there's a, there's an actual, there's a really interesting documentary video, uh, about that, that I watched, but, uh, um, so I did search and find out that the, uh, so it says the band members played a variety of instruments, including non-traditional instruments like the singing saw yep. and, and the Uelian pipes. Yeah. Uh, the, it's a Gaelic word. I'm not really sure how to pronounce it. Hmm. But I think it's the singing saw that I was probably uh, not liking. Uh, that sounds like something I wouldn't like. I think there were a lot of things on this album that you didn't like. Yeah, man, I'm so sorry. Uh, this is one of my least favorite. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I, I, Travis, I got to tell you, I was very well prepared for you to not like this. I mean, you have surprised me before, right? Many times yeah. you have surprised me, but I was well prepared for you to not like this. I okay, think, good. I think that I have chatted about this album enough. I think you've given us a good insight into your view on this album. I would like to hear your rating, though. I don't know if I even have the ability to give this an accurate rating from my even just from my own perspective the scale starts at one you cannot give it a you cannot give it a zero yeah yeah, yeah. it's not, not going to be zero. it's not going to be a one it's not going to be a one um because there are there are things about this that you can see are interesting and and reflective of some talent 
the emotion that he uh, that you, you can you can the topics that he includes in this in the album you can you can clearly see him talking about love and spirituality and nostalgia and and uh, and sex and you uh, and loneliness and and it has that same kind of like war anthem feeling of a U two you know kind of band uh, it just the 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 all the parts together i i think cacophonous is is the word i i want to use to to just nail down my description of it and it didn't work for me so i'm i think i'm going to give it a a 2 for me too many notes <laughs> too, too just cut a few and it'll be perfect <laughs> it's my favorite scene from from amadeus well, obviously, I no one here is surprised to find out that this is a 10 for me. Good. It is my favorite. It's my favorite movie and my favorite music. Um, yeah, I love this. I love this. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you for uh, exposing me to it. I'm, I'm glad you trusted me with your favorite album. And um, my feelings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think you've already probably seen my favorite film, so I, don't, I can't return the favor, but... Uh, uh, you, I mean, you did already crush me a bit with with Spider Man into the Spider Verse. So you you really took that one tough, man. Yeah, it was. It was. I think I gave it a four, didn't I? Like a three or a four? No, a three. I think maybe. I don't know. I'd yeah. have to go back and look. Anyway, we have to go back. Anyway, uh, shall we move on to the movie? Let's do it. Tell me about 1917. Oh, so this movie kind of took me by surprise. Uh, I am not generally a fan of. Um, I don't seek out historical dramas, uh, you know? And uh, moreover, right before this movie came out, there was a movie called Dunkirk, which I think was directed by Christopher Nolan, if I remember correctly. And I did not like Dunkirk much at all. And so when this movie came out, another movie about World War One, I, I was like, well, I'm not going to see this either. And then it started to get a lot of great reviews. And basically, it's a movie about... Um, Two soldiers, uh, British soldiers, who are sent to uh, to catch up with this regiment of 1,600 British soldiers before they launch an attack on what they think is the retreating German line. But what the Germans are actually doing is setting up a trap, and they're basically going to massacre this entire uh, army of, of soldiers. And so these two soldiers are sent by the general by their general to take a message to the uh to the i guess captain of the of the of the army and tell them to call off the attack one of the complicating factors is that one of the two soldiers has a brother an older brother who is in that army so he is motivated to uh to make it so that he can warn the army to call off the attack so that his brother and 1600 other men don't die so uh and that's pretty much it like the other interesting thing though, I was going to say yeah there's one more interesting thing that you need to mention well, so the other interesting thing from a filmic point of view is it basically takes place in real time in about in two halves, really. Uh, and essentially, it's all one shot. Like it's all it's it's all made to look like the camera is never cutting, uh, except for a part in the middle where the the main character loses consciousness. And um, 
It's interesting because we talked a little bit about Wonners back when we watched Creed, and they have that one amazing fight that is just all one take. And you don't quite, you don't kind of notice it until you're in it for a while, and you're like, oh my god, this is never cut, and this is all just happening. And there's something a little magical about that because we have gotten so inured to this idea that actors can say one line and they just have to get the line right once by itself and then they can cut that into the scene somehow uh or or do other little magical things and when you have a one take that lasts several minutes if not you know a half an hour or more there's something very very kind of i don't know powerful about that and uh, this this movie now i will say does have hidden cuts so they're they weren't just doing it all in in two takes for the whole movie <laughs> but lots and lots of long long takes and uh and and for that it was fairly interesting besides all that which is just that's just that's just dressing the movie itself ends up being very suspenseful like I was kind of surprised at how similar the vibe was to the last couple of movies we've watched. Uh, very tense, right? Uh, very mm-hmm. suspenseful because you've got this guy, these two guys, going out into dangerous territory, unknown dangerous territory, and they have a mission, and they're just surrounded by danger. And uh, and how do they get through that experience? So uh, I'm interested in hear what you think. Yeah, this is a fascinating movie. I don't think it always works, but it works enough to work as a whole. Uh, your description of it is really good, so I think I'm just going to dive right in. The first sequence of them getting onto the battlefield is fantastic because people who have visited World War One battlefields often exclaim how surprised they are at how close the lines were to one another they're Mm -hmm. at most a couple hundred yards apart but often quite close to one another and this makes you feel that in a for those of us who haven't been to world war one battlefields in europe which i haven't it shows you like they're they're given these directions by the local commander okay you go to the dead horse and then you find the guy that's hung up on the wires and you go through here and all those things happen one right after the other very quickly because they're only traveling 10 15 20 yards till the next you know point of navigation that they've been given right next and they're very quickly into the German trenches and they realize the Germans have indeed left. You know, they've booby-trapped it. They escape a booby-trap. That, that sequence where the one character is buried, unbelievable that they do that as part of a one I mean, obviously, there's some pretty significant practical and computer effects going on there. All of it is really, really impressive I, you know, I, I love that. Uh, so then they they do sort of progress beyond the Im- immediate German lines. They found that their their immediate intelligence is correct, and so they they start traveling across the open land, and they get into a little bit of trouble relatively quickly. It's it's actually slightly before halfway through the movie, I think, when the one guy gets killed. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one Pretty of the guys. Fast. 
yeah, one of the guys gets killed and my wife and I were both a little shocked. Even though she had predicted that one of them was going to die, she thought it would be like a big climactic scene at the end, right? But it ends up being like sort of right smack dab in the middle of the movie. Uh, And did you think it was going to be that guy? I didn't. I didn't know. I really didn't. Uh, You know, I think you could make a case for either of them, right? Sure. Yes. So. Yeah. It took me by surprise just because uh, like it, he seems to be the character with the arc, right? He's got the the, brother. He's got the. He's the one who's chosen at the beginning. He's the one who's chosen. He's the one who literally answers the call to adventure, yeah. right? And just kind of pulls yeah. this other character along. And it turns yeah. out that this other character is the one who is actually on this hero's journey. Yeah. Um. So anyways, I don't want to walk through the whole movie. I I do think it's definitely worth watching. The, the way it integrates the effects into this giant one take or two take, right? Because it was funny when, when he goes unconscious and there's a skip forward in time, I was like, Travis was wrong. It's not a one. It's not a one or it's a two or I don't think yeah. that's a real phrase, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's essentially two long takes and the way they integrate the different, you know, scenes within that are so good. The way that the special effects, I can't believe the special effects that they're able to do in this and integrate them well into this. Like it's a filmmaking trick, right? Right. It's yeah. very flashy. And if somebody told me about this, I'd be like, oh, God, these film people and they're stupid. Like I got to do it in one take things, but it yeah. really does work. And I think the reason that it works is because the movie does really take pains to keep moving forward, right? Like anytime you do something in real time, it's going to get boring. Like there's no way to avoid the fact that there's going, like we, we have, we make movies the way we do for a reason. We have cuts for a reason. Yeah. And so the way that this movie gets you past those slow points is very, very impressive. There are times when what they do is very impressive camera work that's hard to pinpoint exactly what they did Yeah. during the boring part. So you're like, what happened there? There's part. There's one bit where they are moving through a flooded crater and they go around the edge of the flooding and the camera travels right across the flood. Now, in a movie that isn't shot as a single take, you'd be like, well, this is just a crane shot. They've got, you know, a pad on one side of the thing. But we've already seen where you would put a pad. We've already seen where you would put a crane. So, and it is probably a crane shot that's perfectly integrated into the camera movement. Sure. Wow, is it really impressive. And there's another one later that sort of echoes it when he's crossing the river and he's on a broken bridge and he's struggling to get across the river and the camera just floats along. There's a point where I'm like, man, just have the camera guy take you across because he's really <laughs> doing a wonderful job. 
Yeah, uh, I did watch some of the behind the scenes on this, and it's fairly uh, is not and not just the camera stuff, but like there's a there's a moment where he goes into a room that's uh, where this girl is hiding out from the uh, from the Germans, and there is a fireplace that's lit. And so, and that's the only light source in the room, right? Is the fireplace, and the camera goes a hundred, goes three hundred and sixty degrees around him, but never casts a shadow on him. Yeah, and like moments like that, where you're like, "Oh my god!" But how? And uh, as there's a there's a there, the kid in me who used to buy Starlog magazine and uh, and read all of the articles that he could about how movies are made really gets tickled by this kind of thing. And I love that it's actually wrapped up in a good movie, right? Yeah. And so it all, yeah. it doesn't, it, it's, it's, it's not, the, the camera trickery is not the point of the movie, but it does, I feel, really add to the tension, right? Mm-hmm. And the, and yeah. the, and the, and the, and the, the, the feeling of, of really uh, uh, dread that I felt as a, as a viewer. Yeah. Yeah, so. the immediacy of it is like that's the thing that keeps me from hating this, right? Is that mm. the the one take has a story function. Right. It yes. Helps it helps the movie. It helps you understand the distances that we're talking about and the time that we're talking about in a way that you couldn't necessarily get just from like title cards right yeah and so i really really dig that yeah yeah i i yeah. liked it a lot um it's grim. performances were great i did want to i did want to point out call out the soundtrack because i really loved the music that was integrated into this movie now long stretches of this movie are silent mm-hmm. and but some of it is musical and what's musical is really good. There were times when I was like, why does this get music and this other part didn't like, I I didn't always agree with the choices of what they chose to have background music and what they didn't. But whenever there was music, I noticed it and I enjoyed it, which I wanted to mention just because we've talked about how I generally find movie soundtracks to be innocuous and part of the background and I don't pay attention to them. So I thought it really added to the tension and the storytelling in this particular movie. Yeah, Thomas Newman uh, did a great job. He's a a very well-known... does a lot of drama, uh, the Green Mile and American Beauty that he did with Sam Mendes. He's a frequent collaborator with uh, Sam Mendes. Um, but there are so many interesting things about this movie. There's a there's a scene at the end where the character is trying to get to the captain before they launch the attack on the Germans, and he doesn't quite get there in time. And so the first wave starts, and he, the only way he can get to the captain is by running across the battlefield. And so he's running perpendicular to the to the way that all the soldiers are running and he has to kind of like dodge and they hit him a couple times and he's on the and i think i read that he's not he him tripping was not planned it just happened but they just keep going and he has to catch up to the camera and it's such a powerful moment and you believe you believe everything this character is going through as far as how tired he is how but yet how he manages to kind of get the strength to keep going and um because there's just so much at stake and at the end when he it, it 
It bookends in this beautiful shot of him sleeping against a tree, which is exactly how it started. And I think it's just mm-hmm. a beautiful, uh, and also like his emotion with actually connecting with his comrade's brother and finding yeah. him and just, yeah. uh, oh my God, uh, it uh, makes me cheery. I just thinking about it, but I was definitely crying in that moment. Yeah, so. it was, it was really, it was really, really good. I think to the extent that I didn't like this movie, it was just because formally it does, it has to drag in a few places and it, it really does drag. I, like I said, I I think they do a great job of mitigating that, but it's a real time movie, and there are times when you're like, "Get on with it," you know. <laughs> like this would have yeah. been improved by a cut, but it would have ruined the whole thing that we're doing. So I understand. Uh, Interesting. But, Interesting, but yeah, I yeah, kind of liked those uh, those moments of uh, of stillness uh, now and then, and I, I feel like they really helped. They were good for me. Yeah, so. yeah, I I can certainly see someone having a different opinion about it, but yeah. for me, that's that was the only place where this really falls down for me a little bit. I mean, there are things in this that are not the way you would approach the situation in real life, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, one thing that was mentioned in the stuff that my wife looked up was that they the attack at the end would never have gone forward without artillery support. Um, mm. You know, they, they wouldn't just throw a bunch of guys at what they think is an entrenched position without like some sort of there. Speaking of artillery, by the way, that scene where they get into the pit that the Germans have dug to defend their yeah. artillery. And there's just thousands of five inch shells just yeah. everywhere is right unbelievable like On, in so many wow. ways not only that not only the moment in in the context of the story but also in the context of filmmaking like you had to make all those yeah. shell casings and uh like uh, yeah that was pretty that was pretty cool yeah yeah so anyways so there there's a few things that you know and really so this incredibly important message the only way to get it is to have these two guys walk across and like really there was nothing else that we could have done like i you know maybe have one of these airplane pilots that's flying around drop a can of messages or something like it it just maybe. feels like th- there has to be a, another better more likely to succeed way than this maybe there isn't but, but we don't know, and maybe that's just how it was. Like I can, I can definitely see a moment where, and this is me justifying the way I like to justify things. Uh, you called me out for last week, but yeah. uh, I can see where there's a, you, if you sent an airplane towards enemy lines, there are three German airplanes waiting to take it down, and so maybe yeah. this really was the way things just had to be back then. Yeah, I don't know, but you know, the point is, it's like there are things that just that come up, right? Yeah, I they didn't really super duper bother me. This is not going to be, you know, I'm going to give this a good rating, but like they're there. Right. Yeah. I definitely would love to see more behind the scenes on this. Uh, I want to watch I want to watch all the behind the scenes documentaries on this movie. Uh, Well, uh, anything more to add or you want to give it a rating? We're running a little bit late. Yeah, I apologize for that. Something, something, favorite album. But yeah, I would love to give this a rating. I quite liked it. It's really good. I was a little skeptical when I started, too. So this movie kind of had to win me over. Uh, And I did so. I'm going to give it an eight. 
Nice, nice. Yeah, it uh, it had to win me over too um, the first time, but I knew going into the second time that I liked it. So it 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 did a good job of actually increasing my appreciation the second time. So uh, I'm gonna go with a. Uh, I'm trying to think if I didn't like anything about it, and I this might be a perfect movie. Is it? You know what? Yeah, for 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 lack of any reason to call it otherwise, I'm going to say it's a 10 for me. Awesome. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. It's good news though. I didn't think it was, but I it loved, is. I love 10. You know it's me. Too late. Too late to take it back. <laughs> yeah. You know me. I love tens. All right. All right. Let's uh, let's get into our assignments for next week. Like you said, we're Great. running pretty short on time. Do you know what you're going to give me? Uh, not yet. What do you got for me? All right. Well, I have a question for you this week. Mm-hmm. Are you feeling more soft and gentle or are you feeling more upbeat? Uh, upbeat, for sure. Upbeat. Okay. So you remember last week I told you that I really loved the opener for Mudhoney. I'm going to give oh, yeah. you a a band called Hoover 3. It okay. is stylized H-O-O-V-E-R-I-I-I, but it's pronounced Hoover 3. And they are uh, they just released an album called Point, but that one's a little gentle, a little soft. I'm going to give you their slightly more upbeat 2022 release, A Round of Applause. Okay. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, uh well, I will also give you a choice. Do you want action or do you want drama? I want drama. You want drama, huh? All right. Well, we're going to go back a few years, and I am going to give you the movie Green Book. Uh, I want to give this to you because I want to have a discussion about um, some of the topics that were brought up by this movie. So this was an Academy Award contender a few years ago. So it stars Mahershala Ali and Viggo Mortensen as a uh, as a, a white guy who doesn't really like black guys, and the black guy he has to take down into uh, the South to basically review places for this green book, which is a travel book for African-Americans. And uh, it's based on a true story uh, set in 1962. And um, it's directed by Peter Farrelly, which is interesting because the Farrelly brothers uh, were um, uh, did a lot of stupid comedies like Dumb and Dumber and Shallow Hal and Something About Mary, stuff like that. So they, for them to do a movie that's kind of this dramatic was a surprise for me. But I ended up liking it and I didn't really understand, not that I didn't understand, I didn't agree with a lot of the criticisms that it got when it came out. So, And those are probably what I want to spend a lot of time talking to you about next week. Awesome. Well, that's great. Hey, listener, if you want to talk to us, you can write to us at ExposingOurselvesPodcast at gmail.com or interact with us on our Facebook page. Just search Exposing Ourselves. Yes, and I'm very curious to see uh, what the rest of you, other than Kevin Novacek, thinks of uh, Neutral Milk Hotel. Uh, Which side of the spectrum are you on for that band? And uh, hey, Matt, thank you for exposing yourself to me. Well, you're welcome, Travis. Thank you for exposing yourself to me. Well, you're very welcome. I'll talk to you next week. (laughs) 